the Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gambling Podcast in Arkansas presented by WinBet. WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. From boosted same-game odds to live in-game odds, WinBet has what you need to win. Sign up today and bet $100 to get a $100 free bet at sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash winbet at sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. We're also brought to you by the SGPN World Cup Free Roll, $250 cash and a $250 gift card to the winner. Enter today exclusively on the SGPN app. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Reichel, once again going solo. Actually, we are not going solo for this podcast. We do have a guest. We are joined by ESPN's own Stone Labanowitz, the co-host of the Ken Levick Alive podcast. Been a while. Have you been? It has been a while, and it's only fitting to kind of put the cherry on top with the ATP Finals. Right now, I've been good, though. I've been good. I've been watching everything that you've been putting out. Your Tommy Paul juiced up plus money against one of the goats in Rafa Nadal. Man, I'm staying with it. I love watching this sport each and every day. It's uh, I'm addicted to it, and I think that everyone should be, and I, I voiced that on here before. But overall, man, I've been good. I'm so glad to be on this episode. Yeah, of course. Nice to have you back. Uh, definitely fun going through the final ATP event of the year. Also a bit bittersweet, though, because that means we don't exactly have much time left before the offseason, which is always kind of sad. But I do know that so far the matches have been pretty entertaining, very interesting. And I will briefly discuss some of my outrights uh, that I have to recap or how I did on the last episode. Overall was decent. Ended up losing the lock there. I thought Felix would take care of business against Rude. The opposite happened. He actually lost 2 nothing. But I did have Fritz Moneyline against Nadal at around plus 130, and he won in straight sets. As for the actual outrights for the groups, I ended up winning one group and I lost the other. I ended up having Djokovic to win the group. Not going to take a victory lap for that. He's Djokovic. I can't say I'm not surprised <laughs> with what happened. But still, I gave it out. And then for the other group, that one, I was wrong. I had a lean between Felix and Fritz. And unfortunately, Rude beat both of them. So I ended up losing that group in, in, in itself. But I'm going to ask you first, since I have my thoughts, but I'm kind of curious from an outsider's perspective. Do you have any main takeaways so far from the first couple of days now that the group stages are almost done? Not officially. We still have to wait on a couple of matches we're going to talk about in a little bit for Thursday, for uh, Friday. But is there anything that's really stood out to you? Yeah, to be honest, I think it's the fact that the more we don't expect anything, the more we criticize, the more we doubt Casper Rude, the better he plays. I feel like it happens every single month of the year. These guys pay, play at like 10 out of the 12 months of the season. Casper Rude. Anytime you think he's out of something, he'll win it. Anytime you write him off, he shows up at your front door. Like you, for instance, I didn't know you played Felix against him not too long ago. I think Felix was sitting around minus 300 odds. Like it was like complete, like, okay, Casper's not really here. We've seen the form that Felix has come in here with. He's minus 300 right out the gates, three to one. What does Casper do? Oh, no, no, no. I can play on these fast courts too. I can adjust my game. He's just... Not here to have a good time. Not here to ever have a fun time. He's there, and it's business every time Rude's on the court. At some point, at some point, we're all going to become fans because I think everybody – or not everybody. I think there's a, a high percentage of people that think he's undeserving of the top five spot that, that he holds. And I think that every time he goes out on the court, he has that mentality like, you don't think I can beat this guy? None of you think I'm top five? I'm going to play a lot better. And it's just really cool to see from a competitive standpoint. Yeah, and I feel like to touch upon that last point, I was kind of overlooking Rude. I recognize the fact he made the finals in the U.S. Open, ended up losing to Alcaraz, but if you looked at its results post-U.S. Open, they really weren't that good, and that's kind of why I was going by recency, uh, and I was trying to expect Felix to play well because Felix looked like a top-four player in the world for about two straight months. He made the final yes. in like three or four straight events, he was absolutely cooking. He also ended up beating Djokovic in 
the I believe it was the Laver Cup a couple of months ago as well. So yeah, he slept him early. Yeah, Casper. Yeah. You, you talked about Casper's form coming in, like losses to Jami Munar, losses mm-hmm. to Stan Wawrinka and stuff. Like there were Lost losses in Nishioka in three. Yeah, yeah. lost yeah. in Nishioka. A lot of ones that had you scratching your head. So I feel you on that. Yeah, but Rude definitely put his best foot forward in this group. He ended up losing the last match he played against Nadal. Props to Nadal for winning a match. I kind of wonder how much energy Rude was potentially conserving because he already clinched a spot in the semifinals. But Nadal had a nice job there of winning a competitive match. Uh, Besides that, though, do you have any other takeaways? Because I have one that I want to talk about from kind of a negative perspective. But I'm curious if you want to mention it first or if you have something else you want to say. No, I don't necessarily think so. I enjoy watching these matches. I, I tell people all the time, tennis is the most storyline and character narrative-driven sport, I think, out of everything out there, right? Like what that guy did three days ago in his personal life can affect what he does on the court. And I sat down and watched. It's probably a 15-minute video. I don't know if you've seen it yet. It's on YouTube, and it's the eight finalists, and they're sitting at this kind of round table, and they're all asking each other questions. What we've seen Felix do in the past month makes so much sense to me because when he was in Canada and we saw that video that went viral of him playing the piano, how intellectual this kid is, like how much of a mental hurdle it was that he went and won these back-to-back finals. He's so heady and he's finally got the weight of the world off his shoulders in that YouTube video. They're all asking each other questions. Felix is talking the most. Novak looks nervous. Rafa looks nervous. Taylor doesn't even talk. Rublev doesn't talk. Casper doesn't say a word. It's Felix who is orchestrating the crowd. And I think now that he's won these back-to-back finals and he's playing really well, unfortunate loss today to Taylor Fritz. But it's like, okay, this is all starting to come together for the kids. So Felix, if you're not, if you're somebody listening, you're not too sure about him, now's the time to, to buy that stock because he's got the weight of the world off his shoulders, the monkey's off his back, and he's off and running. Yeah, I still kind of want to see him excel more in three out of five set matches, mostly in Grand Slam stuff. I know he had a match point or two against Medvedev in the USO in the Australian Open this past year, but I do think that even though he has been very good, uh, I do kind of wish I could potentially see a little bit more in three out of five sets, but hopefully he builds on the confidence that he definitely has shown since... Uh, the coaching change and since this past couple of weeks, and that kind of carries over. By the way, you mentioned back-to-back finals or back-to-back titles. It was actually back-to-back-to-back. Yeah. He, he won three straight, <laughs> and then he, lost, then he lost to Rune, and Rune ended up winning in Paris. So he ended up having a really a tremendous run there, and then unfortunately kind of came to an end, and then he ended up losing in the group stage of the ATP finals. But still, very impressive showing by him. The negative aspect that I was going to mention or I was alluding to was actually about the former number one player in the world. It was going to be Medvedev, who's actually going to be playing against Djokovic tomorrow. And of course, when you're world number one, expectations are significantly higher. And when you're up to nothing with triple break point with a shot to win the Australian Open to start your year and then it doesn't go your way, everything else can kind of snowball after that. And I have to at least bring it up because I think we would all agree that even though Medvedev did win a couple titles and during the early portion of the year, he was the master of the runner-up finish. He lost in a lot of finals early on. It does seem like he's had a pretty disappointing overall year to his standards. And he's losing to a lot of guys that he historically dominated. He lost to Tsitsipas a couple times. He owned Tsitsipas for the last couple of years. He lost to Diminor in Paris, which was shocking, because I don't think he ever lost to Diminor. I think he was 5-0 and at the time, or it was it was at least 3-0. and I know that he had never no lost No doubt him. about it. And then he lost in three. Do you have anything you really want to mention re- regarding Medvedev? Because he has been competitive against the top five, top ten guys, but it just seems like mentally he isn't as sharp for as long as he was in previous years. He's definitely been, I'd say seen in matches to kind of yell back to his coaching box. And it seems like he's kind of annoyed half the time when things don't go his way. Do you have anything you want to chalk it up to for the reasons why he's kind of struggled against top tier competition? Because in previous years, he was kind of just an absolute stone. You just couldn't really read any emotions off the guy. 
he was just going to play every point and he was kind of going to move on. It does seem like this year, smaller things are bothering him and it's kind of making it harder for him to focus later on on matches because he's constantly dwelling on the past. I absolutely love that you brought this up in, in the way that you did. Dude, complacency is a real thing in tennis. We're seeing, let's use two different opposite ends of the spectrum right now. In Olga Rune and Daniil Medvedev right now, they're doing two different things. You have a guy in Olga Rune who can't stop playing matches, right? He's won like 19 of his last 21. It's some ridiculous number. Medvedev at this point is picking and choosing where he wants to play, as he should, right? He's a world number one. But when you show up to the court now, and you are letting these little things affect you, and you do realize that you're 5-0 and against Alex Dimonar. And I think three seasons ago, he would not have known what his record was against Dimonar. So it's like I think all of these things getting complacent. I look at, I look at Sasha Bublik. Everyone hates this guy. And he can tell you – can, you can tell watching. If you're an average Joe who doesn't watch all the time or you're somebody who does crack the books and watches a lot of tennis, you can tell when – He's going to stop playing. You can tell when the match is over. And I think Medvedev, like you said, was always stone-faced. He's not stone-faced anymore. You can tell late in the set if he's going to punt it. You can tell late in the set if he's going to start just throwing bomb second serves in there because he doesn't really care. And I think it wasn't like that seasons ago where we could start to read him more and more. He's become more humanized, less, less of a Russian robot. And I think because of it, guys are teeing off on him, realizing, hey, He's, his guard's down right now. So it's a possibility you saw him pounce on him in certain situations. A lot of complaining. When Medvedev did do that crying to his box, that's when he got broke. So it's like simple math. Two plus two equals four. When I'm looking at Medvedev, complacency is real in tennis, man. Your personal life, your human life will really screw you up. Yeah, and just I actually looked it up. Uh, he was 4-0 and against Diminor, and yeah. now he's 4-1. and So somewhere in the middle. Uh, to go back to your point about him potentially punting sets, we just saw it. Against Sitsipas, he yes, was serving. We did. He, he was serving for the match, got broken. He held after that in the final service game, but then he immediately went down six nothing in the tiebreaker. And you could tell when it was basically two or three nothing, he didn't give a damn at that point. He was yelling at the box every play. He was shrugging. He was doing a bunch of really just negative body language stuff. It was and never like that with Medvedev. This is brand new. We're just now seeing this side of him. Yeah, so just throwing it out there, not to mention the fact that a lot of players have adapted their own games to incorporate more serve and volley stuff, mostly Sitsipas and Kyrgios against Medvedev, where they come to the net a lot. I believe Sitsipas in the past match won 30 of 37 net points, I think. It was something like that, so it was a huge, extremely high percentage, and that's another reason why Medvedev has kind of struggled, because players have adapted to how far back he stands on the court, but I thought it was worth discussing because mentally you have noticed a bit of a switch. For sure. And I, I'm glad you brought up the point about the, the net play. He's so stubborn. That's another thing. Like when he's yelling at his coaches, like those are probably the things that he's getting told. But he's so stubborn. Like, no, I'm going to pass instead of come up. That's something that Medvedev, because he's complacent, because he's the best in the world, He's like, I get you're coming up to the net, but eventually I'm going to start passing you and get you back on your heels and have you kind of stop changing the tempo and the pace like you are. So it's a good point because he refuses to come up because he's Daniil Medvedev. That's what he would tell you. I don't have to. Yeah, and we're actually about to talk about a Medvedev match uh, in a second. He's taking on Djokovic. Uh, I'll go into a bit of a question here in terms of motivation with Djokovic for the upcoming match in a bit. In a bit. But any other takeaways you want to mention before we actually move on to some of the matches and the outrights moving forward? All solid, man. Let's check on some of these odds. Cool. Sounds good. So we're going to talk about the two matches taking place on Friday. Spoiler alert, one match means something, one match doesn't. So we'll <laughs> see what happens with that, as well as the updated outright odds. Before we actually get into any of that, going to have a quick word from our sponsors. Ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. We're bringing the excitement of win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards are right at your fingertips with win rewards on WinBet. Be on the lookout for the WinBet win hour 
each Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. During WinBet Win Hour, Marquee Games of the Week will have better odds on WinBet, giving you a larger payout opportunity. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet, from boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport. WinBet has what you need to win. Ready to play? Sign up today and receive a special offer, bet $100, and win $100 for no questions asked. There's so much to choose from. All you have to do is head over to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash winbet so they know we sent you. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T to claim your free bet today. Offer something to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call one 800 522 Zero, zero. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished breaking down some of the earlier matches in this tournament and kind of recapping how we did on the last episode. But most importantly, Stone and I were talking about some overall takeaways and some of the, I'd say, very, very high moments from some players and some of the very low moments from other players. But now it's time to pivot over to the actual outrights here. Uh, I know we're going to talk about the matches in particular, but the outrights I do kind of want to talk about because we have a pretty good idea of who's going to be in the semis. There's only one exception in that Rublev and Tsitsipas match. But to go through the actual outrights, Djokovic, of course, is the favorite. What else is new? And he's been even better than you could have possibly imagined so far in this (laughs) tournament. He's been just an absolute machine. I ended up betting on him uh, on one of the YouTube plays I gave out against Rublev. I had him in straight sets at minus 105, and that was just (laughs) – that was a destruction. There's really no other way around it. Yeah, Novak said post-match, I think that was the best I've played all season. And it's like, really, dude? Really, dude? You waited to the ATP Finals. To play your best match in his defense, he wasn't allowed to play in about half the tournaments to start the year, so he kind of limited the number that he could have played better matches in. But I I thought that was the best match arguably Djokovic has ever played. It sounds crazy, like it, man. I mean, those first serve numbers against Rublev were 94 percent, he won 94 percent, and he only missed eight first serves in the entire (laughs) match. Like, what I don't I don't realize that Novak Karlovich was a thing, but apparently it is. So congrats to yes. Novak for just serving better than arguably he's ever had in this past couple of weeks. But Djokovic is now the favorite of minus two hundred. I know he was originally plus one thirty, I believe, in this event, and he was around minus one fifty after initially his Rublev match, but has gone up to minus two hundred. Sitsipas is six to one. Kasper Ruud is six fifty. Fritz is six fifty. And Rublev is plus 900. First of all, I'm going to ask you straight up, Djokovic versus the field. Who are you taking right now? I'm taking Novak Djokovic. I, I, I think he's found something. Like he's the serve loose. especially. The serve especially, but like body language wise, mm-hmm. he's always been that robot guy, but he's smirking. He's like he wants to shove it deeper that, that dagger into somebody's stomach. He wants to twist it. Like, he's having fun out there. It's, like, diabolical what he's doing. I would not bet against Novak at all right now in any way, shape, or form. I'm not even talking about taking over nine and a half games in a set. Like, I wouldn't even touch the the the, the number right now with the way Novak's playing and the way he's serving. Yeah. Truth is, I'm kind of at the point where whoever takes a set off Djokovic, I'm just going to give him a round of applause. <laughs> That's kind of <laughs> where I'm at at this point. Because right now, he is just on such a crazy level. And I feel like you're looking at a situation where it's pretty obvious who's the number one player in the world, even dis- despite the ATP rankings. Djokovic, I know it's the tournament of the best of the best. A little bit of an exception there because Alcaraz has the abdomen injury, so he's not in attendance, but... You're just looking at everybody else. For example, in the Fritz Felix match this, uh, you know, uh, yesterday, or you're looking at the uh, Sitsipas and Medvedev match, which was crazy in itself. And then you watch Djokovic play, and you realize that there are still levels. And Djokovic is just by himself right now in terms of levels. I really don't know who's going to beat him. I gave out Djokovic before the tournament. Once again, not going to take a victory lap because a, it's not over. B. He's Djokovic. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel here, but Djokovic has been so good, especially on these hard courts that play very fast, which this tournament are, has. These are arcade mode courts right now, man. They are. It's like skipping rocks. 
how, and, how, how fast these balls are and, moving. And that's why Djokovic has a big advantage because he's yeah. the best returner arguably of all time. So if you're going to be looking where service break points are a premium and Djokovic can generate more of those than basically anybody else in this event, he's going to set himself up for a massive chance of just domination because the only weak part in his game, quote unquote, is the serve. And if the serve is going to be better just solely based on how the courts have played, then Djokovic is just going to mop the floor with you. Yeah, it, it's funny you say that, right? Because he's playing Taylor Fritz. Like the yeah. only one left in the field right now who has the ability to spot serve somebody off the court. Like Taylor Fritz can bot you at any time that he wants to. Mm-hmm. So it's funny that we're saying in Novak and talking about how he's arguably the greatest returner to ever play. Yeah, he probably is. But Either Taylor him or Fritz, Nadal. Murray, shout out, but I'd probably go Djokovic. <laughs> yeah, for, no, for sure. But Taylor Fritz... I don't think there's anybody hitting their spots as well as he is right now. I mean, it may, it may not talk about percentage, but we saw Felix time and time again throw his arms up. Like, what the hell can I do? Because they're hitting left, they're hitting right. He goes at your body. Like, Taylor right now is moving and grooving on serve, and I think it's a good matchup for Taylor. If anybody's in this field is going to beat him right now, it's Taylor, and it's because he's going to steal a tiebreak early and then and then possibly break you late in a set. That's it. Yeah, but to go through the rest of the odds, though, uh, I'm a bit surprised Sitsipas is the second favorite uh-huh. when he hasn't officially clinched a spot in the semis yet, which I find weird. I get the uh-huh. argument is that no matter what, he would not play Djokovic until the final. So being placed on the opposite side of the bracket definitely helps. But based on that logic, I still don't know why Sitsipas is above Casper Ruud when Rude's guaranteed to be in the semis on the opposite side of the bracket. Can you explain that to me? Because I don't get it. Hey, I can't. Don't ask me to explain it to you. I can't. And and it's and it's what's also telling is I think they're dangling bait. Like we're gonna go through our locks and our dogs right now, but Stefano City Pass is minus one fifty five against Rublev tomorrow. And he has the second shortest odds to win. Like, it's almost like they're tipping their cap. That's all I would say is, like, that would give anybody listening more confidence to go bet Sitsipas, throw him in every parlay that you have at minus 155 tomorrow because of of this reason that we just spoke about. I can't explain it, no. But the fact that they did put him ahead of Casper Root, who's already guaranteed a semifinal spot, is odd. But if they're going to tip their cap, might as well make it an auto bet. So I am going to ask you, though, if you had to pick one other tennis player, one long shot, so to speak, out of the other four guys, is there anybody you'd pick? Would you pick Rude just because he's already in the semis, or would you actually try to take a stance with maybe Rublev or Poss or somebody? I would take a stab with Taylor Fritz, man, just just for the storyline, right, Casper? Or I apologize, Carlitos Alcaraz pulls out, gets Taylor Fritz in here, right? Shouldn't even be here. Goes and takes down the hottest player on tour, the most informed player that's even in this field, not anymore in this field, but was in the field. And Felix Auger-Aliassim, it's like, okay, like I said, if Taylor Fritz hits his spots and chooses correctly, he can beat anybody on any given day. The way he technically dissected Rafa Nadal, and I know he's jogging out there, right? He looked completely like he needed his walker. And it was his first match, too, so Nadal was just completely just flat. For the majority Flat of that match. as hell. And, and if you're down 30 love in every single return game that you step onto the court for, you're not going to win that. So I think Taylor Fritz has the best chance to put Novak in those situations, take Novak to a tie break. I think Fritz more than anybody else. So I would take the stab with him and his big serve. Yeah, my only concern with Fritz, of course, is the rallying. And if Djokovic does get a racket on the serve and he keeps the ball in play... He'll, he'll fucking double bagel his ass. That, that's if, my if point. That's like, I think Djokovic would win. If we we're if you're looking at rallies that are at least, I'd say, 10-plus shots, Djokovic would probably win at least 60% of those, probably north of 70. But I think that's where Fritz would run into trouble. He would need to really win every service point. As, as quickly as possible, because the longer a point goes, the more Djokovic's consistency wears you down, and that's really where Fritz would run into some trouble. Sitsipas... I'm sorry, what? You say, you say that, but we just watched him execute it beautifully against Felix. Oh, I know. I, I'm saying that I think that it's possible. I just think yeah. that Djokovic would eventually break Fritz down over the course of three, but I yeah. understand where your head's at. I think that you're going to need to serve out of your mind anyway to be Djokovic. 
I wanted to make a case for Sitsipas just because he's seen Djokovic basically four times in the last month and a half, but he's lost every time. He just can't <laughs> beat this guy. Like, he just can't beat him. Djokovic beat him earlier in the group stage competitive match. I believe it was 6-4, 7-6. But the point is Djokovic still is just so damn good. And I think that he's going to win the tournament. Uh, I gave him out pre-tournament, so I'm not going to give him out now at minus 200. I do think the Rublev-Sitibas match, which we're going to talk about in a second, is intriguing. But as of right now, I'm not really interested in many long shots. Rude, you could argue, you know, could get to the final and figure it out. No offense to Rude. I know we just talked about how when he's most dangerous when you count him out, he's not beating Djokovic. Like, I, I don't think Rude's beating Djokovic on this court, how quickly it's playing. I don't think he's got a chance in hell to beat Djokovic on this court. So I'm not picking Rude, but shout out to him, though. I did not expect him to actually make it out of his quarter. I believe he was the longest odds to make it out of the quarter. So good for him. But when it comes down to it, I think if anybody would give him a serious threat, it would be Sitsipas. And I'm just hoping that the recent matchups can maybe allow Sitsipas to find something. He won't, but maybe he can. Djokovic is really just on another level right now. Yeah, I I, I see Sitsipas, right? You're gonna play you're gonna play roulette. You're gonna spin that wheel and hopefully it lands on the number you're looking for. But you kinda have to, right? I mean against Djokovic. You, you do kinda have to. Earlier, Scott, I spoke about this diabolical kind of fun that um Novak's having murdering these people per se. Like in that Sitsipas Djokovic match, I believe in Paris. Or whether it was wherever it was, it wasn't long ago. It was a few weeks. They said the group stage as well. Like they've they faced off all the time. So, Sitsipas won a quick point, I believe, down or up, uh, love thirty in a return game, and he gave the crowd the item O. He kind of stole Novak's celebration, and like didn't make eye contact with Novak. Novak saw that, stared at him for like two or three seconds, like really, that's what you're gonna do, and it's like. You see on a basketball court, like tennis players don't bring that out. So when I saw that okay bet from Novak Djokovic, that's when you know there's no chance. Like this is completely over. So if it were to see Sitsipas, I think he punishes him even harder than he already did and has over the past few months. Yeah, that's kind of how I look at it. But once again, you're really trying to pick one of the bad options left to go up against a juggernaut. (laughs) That's kind of just my case. I'm hoping that since they've seen each other so often, for the past month and change faced off in a couple of tournament finals, as well as the group stage here, maybe he could take a set. He did take a set off Djokovic uh, a couple tournaments ago, but still I think it's just Djokovic against the world right now. And I'm taking Djokovic, but to segue into that, I do want to talk about some of the matches we're going to be, we're going to end up seeing on Friday, starting off with Novak Djokovic. He's going to be taking on Daniel Medvedev. Right now, Djokovic is a pretty big favorite here at minus 310 on the money line. Uh, The game spread is a juice three and a half. It's three and a half around minus 130. And the over under is 21 and a half minus 125 to the over plus 105 to the under. You can find some alternatives if you want it. But Djokovic is expected to win basically in straight sets. The straight set odds are pretty much minus 110 apiece for the plus half plus one and a half or minus one and a half. We saw yesterday that Rude ended up losing to Nadal because he could afford to conserve energy. He already clinched a spot in the semis. Do you think there's any chance that Djokovic can do the same? Or do you think Medvedev, who's already eliminated, just completely punts the thing and Djokovic advances? Because I'm kind of leaning to the latter. God, dude, to be honest, this question that you just proposed is a great one. But I don't think any expert, anybody who we respect, anybody who we idolize, right, that watches and commentates on sports knows the answer to that question. This has got to be one of the hardest tennis matches to cap of the entire season. We're talking about dead rubber. Novak doesn't even need to be out there. Medvedev probably doesn't want to be there. Oh, he, right he definitely now. does not. If you saw him after the Pops match, he just walked right off the court. Like, he, he wasn't interacting with anybody. Anybody. So it's like, what are we supposed to get? Are we going to get Novak laughing at him as he blows winners by him in Medvedev's jogs? Are we going to get a personality match between the two, an exo for the crowd to get the crowd involved? Are we going to see tweeners? Are we going to see lobs? Are we going to see drop shots? Like, 
I don't know the answer to your question. I don't feel confident enough even answering it. I have no freaking clue what we're going to get. I'm hoping that Djokovic remains motivated, even though the match technically doesn't matter, because he has had his kids in attendance, and he has kind of quoted it in the <laughs> past, and he has I mentioned it. I love that it. it's very cool to see his kids yeah. watch him live. I know it's a cheesy type of motivation, <laughs> but... I mean, he served ninety four percent of the first serve points. Like, I got to at least acknowledge that. You know, just because it's cheesy doesn't mean it works. I think Djokovic is just out for blood. I think he's really annoyed that he had to miss this much time playing tennis over the course of the year, and now his kids are in attendance. He's on top of the world. I think he's going to take it to Medvedev, and as soon as Medvedev ends up having even the slightest difficulty in this match, I think he's just going to roll over. This tournament has been an absolute disaster for Medvedev. He's had two really heart, just heartbreaking matches. Lost to Rublev in a war. Lost to Tsitsipas in a war. And you could tell from the body language alone, he should have beaten Tsitsipas. He's serving for the match, and it didn't work out. And then, once again, he just walked off the court. And I do think that Medvedev might end up punting this thing. It could be like the Rublev match against Djokovic. First set's competitive. Djokovic breaks him down. And then at that point, Rublev or Medvedev are just mentally defeated and Djokovic kind of coasts on the second set. I can see that. But for me, if Medvedev loses the first set, you might want to just live bet Djokovic in the second set because I don't think Medvedev's going to care. Okay, you, you you give that advice out, but you're going to be looking at minus three and a half in that second set for Novak Djokovic. Like They're not going to make it easy for you. It depends how competitive the first set is because a lot right. of the actual live betting softwares We'll try to assume the second set will look relatively similar to the sure. first one. I'm assuming it would be two and a half games because that's usually it one will break. Be. I was exaggerating. Two. It will be. You're, you're right on. It will be two and a half. My point is Djokovic beat Rublev 6-1 in the second set. Once he fully broke through, he got the break. And then after that, you know, mentally Rublev checked out because Djokovic was at such a high level. He just couldn't handle it. Yeah. I think Medvedev's going to be the same way. The last head-to-head was very weird where Medvedev was up a set. Then it went to a tie break. Djokovic won the tie break, and then Medvedev withdrew in between the second and the third set after losing such a... Like, I don't know what the hell happened in that match. We can't even call it a a withdrawal. Like, that is not even going to happen. He quit. uh, Let me go home. Like, let me leave. But the point is, we saw that when both players were competing for something. That was a semifinal spot in the tournament. And Medvedev just straight up decided, I'm out of here. I got to beat the oncoming traffic. I'm concerned about him just mentally being focused in this matchup. And we talked about it before. The body language is bad. This trip's been a disaster. I think he just wants to end the year. It's not just the end of this tournament. It's the end of his season. It's the end of a very disappointing season for Medvedev, where he definitely would have wanted to win either the Aussie Open or the U.S. Open, and neither happened. I think Medvedev's basically cooked. The question is, does Djokovic care enough to actually just stick the dagger in? So you chose that side, which I could fully just jump on board with you, but I will choose the other just for the, for the I guess, hope that this is what we get, right? I'm going to try to manifest it. For the hope, for the banter, you know, for content, either way. Yeah, yeah, e- either or, but honestly, I think personally I do want to see this. I do want to see both of the personalities come out. I want this to turn into an exhibition. I want to see a tie break. I want to see a lot of smiles, and I want to see a lot of good serving. I think both of these guys – are obviously some of the best in the world and i do hope that Medvedev wakes up on the right side of the bed and drinks his coffee and comes out here with a smile and wins his first service game 40 love and we're off to the races and we're going to get some good tennis and a lot of hot shots gonna try to manifest it don't necessarily believe it but uh we'll see (laughs) well either way it's the early match so i'm sure some people listening to this might just see the final result and they're not actually going to see the thing but that definitely is a possibility We'll see what happens, but I'm a little bit pessimistic about Medvedev because of his attitude on the court, especially when he's gone poorly for the last couple of months at this point. But time to transition over to the second match, the actual one that matters for both players. You have Rublev taking on Tsitsipas. This match should be an absolute war, and the odds suggest so. You're looking at Tsitsipas on the money line at around minus 150. Rublev is plus 130 on the other end. You have the game spread at minus one and a half. For Sitsipas at minus 110, plus one and a half for Rublev, and the over-under is set at 23 and a half. So you're basically looking at three sets most likely 
or a couple wars involving tie breaks or a couple seven fives. But to go through the head to head uh, between these players that faced off against each other 10 times in their careers. And it's been very close. Sitsipas does have the upper hand slightly. He's up six, four. There are a couple clay matches thrown in there uh, four clay matches to be exact. So on hard court, Sitsipas has actually lost two of the last three, uh, but going through all of them, uh, including the next gen ATP finals in 2018, which went five sets, you know, first to four, that format in itself. It's been a very, very competitive battle on hardcore between these players, and I don't see anything changing. You, I think it's going to be an absolute war. I do think it's going to be a war as well, but I am a little hesitant at where their motives are, where their intentions are. You're looking at a Stefano Tsitsipas who finally got over that Medvedev hurdle that he's been trying to get over for such a long time. The crowd showed him some love. I think he's thinking, okay, something to work with here. And I think he's out to prove to the world that I'm a top five player. This is where I belong. You all need to love me because I'm going to be here for a long time. And then you go to the other side of the court and you have Andre Rublev, who is just happy to be here. He said out loud to anybody who sticks a microphone or camera in front of his face that he doesn't think he should be here. He doesn't know why he's here. In that YouTube video that I referred to earlier, he said, I got put in a group chat and I asked myself, should I leave? Like I shouldn't be here. Like he shouldn't be here. So you got a guy who's playing with nothing to lose, who doesn't think he should even be here against the guy who's trying to prove it to the world that he belongs. So if that plays out correctly and Steph does take this first set, Rublev might shrivel up or he'll just go trying to end points really early and try to serve and volley and drop shot and just do these things, trying to end it because he's uncomfortable and he realizes my time is up. So, so I'm hesitant to say that this is going to be a war for those reasons. I do think, though, that Tsitsipas, first of all, both guys had disastrous summers. I mean, there's really no way around it. Tsitsipas was getting skunked by Galan in the U.S. Open. Like, it was rough. It was rough for Tsitsipas, and people were turning on him. Uh, you're looking at Rublev. He lost to Nishioka in one of the early uh, rounds of, I forgot which event it was. Was that DC? He lost uh, to Nishioka. It was DC, or it might have been Toronto. I think it was DC because Nishioka ended up making the final and lost to Kyrgios. I think it was DC. But the point is, both guys struggled very early on, and that might be why Rublev feels like he maybe isn't worthy of being here because his year was pretty underwhelming from start to finish. However, he did kind of find something when they ended up traveling to South Korea and to Japan, it seemed like his skill set was kind of coming all the way back, and he's yeah. been clicking. His main win, his main hurdle, was beating Medvedev, who, once again, he never beats. He never beats Medvedev, historically speaking, and he finally got over the hump. He had a bunch of set points, a bunch of match points. He blew them all, and then he eventually finally broke through, and he won the match. Then Djokovic happened. It happens. Djokovic was just on one that day. That and he got the, in the garbage. Yeah, that happens. You got to toss it out and just move on. So I do think both players are in good form. Sitsipas I've been impressed with because he has made it to his fair share of finals. He's made deep runs in the recent tournaments leading up to this event. And I do think if you want to talk about the overall skill level, I do think Sitsipas's main advantage is on the serve. He's been serving very well. And Rublev has some issues at times with first serve percentage. And I do think Sitsipas can exploit that if Rublev has to hit a lot of second serves. I think that's going to decide the match for me. If you wanted my overall thoughts for the pick, I would go Sitsipas in three. I think it's a very competitive match. You might get a tie break in there. I like the over, but I do think you'll see Sitsipas, from what I've seen especially, him coming back from a breakdown while Medvedev was serving for the match was something you probably wouldn't expect to see. At, I don't know. No, and, and, and the odds makers most definitely did it. That number was juiced all the way to the sky to the point where you close your phone. Yeah, I didn't. See, I mean, you're looking at that match, and Sitsipas has that crazy tie break with Medvedev. He has several match points, and then he loses the breaker. Then he basically immediately gets broken in the third set, and you think classic Sitsipas. Here we go again. He's about to get blown out in this third set, and then he 
just he rose from the ashes. He just came back and he ended up winning the match. So I was very impressed with his resolve. And that's something that I've kind of questioned in the past where things get tough. Some players dig in and some players roll over. Yeah. Since Paz definitely responded well to the adversity, or at least better than I thought he would. I'm going Sitsi Paz in three. No offense to Rublev. He's had a great tournament so far. I just think Sitsi Paz is a little bit better in terms of just the well-rounded talent. And it's really the serve differential for me. Sitsipas has served very, very well. And the fact that he could sprinkle in some serve and volley stuff, he can give you different looks. Rubev really doesn't have that. For sure. For sure. I think he hit it right there. That's where I would lean Sitsipas right there, and it's the ability to serve and volley and the audacity to dare Andre to try to pass him. Mm-hmm. Like Sitsipas has been very well in executing at a really high clip at the net. And I think tomorrow we're going to see him hit shots at 75, 85% pace and get to the net, daring Rublev to pass him, which he will. We know that's in his bag right now, but eventually over time, Sitsipas's net net points are going to be a lot higher than Rublev, and I think that's the difference. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, but anything else you want to add for these two matches? Because I know we're going to get into some of our picks for the lock and dog, but anything else you want to add? I'm excited, man. I think the crowd's going to be into this one, and I think they're definitely going to pick a side here, and I think it's honestly going to be the Rublev with nothing to lose. I'm excited to kind of see how that plays out. Yeah, I'm kind of interested in how the crowd's going to react to Medvedev Djokovic just because of (laughs) just the lack of overall pressure from both sides. Exactly. 100%. I cannot wait. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. The crowd's been very good so far, though, which has been a nice takeaway. I know that they changed the venue Every I forgot what it is every ten years, give or take. It's usually it was in the O2 arena over there in the UK. Now it's in uh, Italy, and so far I've been very impressed with the venue. The courts might be a little bit too fast. I might have to work on that for future years. But the atmosphere has been great. Everybody hates the courts and how fast they're moving right now. They all hate it. Um, but I don't. I don't think this crowd holds a candlestick to what we saw in Fort Worth. With the WTA, man. They were really packing that stadium out there in Texas. It was a great show. The Fort Worth tournament is one of the most (laughs) underrated ones of the year because that was just something. There were just a ton of really, really high-level matches. The crowd was into it. And I feel like it's kind of God, disappointing. I was kidding. There was nobody in the stands. Yeah, there was I'm, nobody there. Yeah, I, I was being sarcastic. There's nobody oh, there. Oh, okay, okay. I was being I'm sarcastic. I, I was I'm, going to say that <laughs> it's kind of funny because <laughs> I, I felt a little bit bad. So about bad. Not, no, no, no. I was going to say I felt badly about not covering the actual tournament. And I was going to segue it into saying, but nobody showed up at the actual matches anyway. So I guess it didn't matter. But mm-hmm. yeah, the crowd was, let's just say, not great. It was not great, but the matches were very good in that event throughout. Uh, I'll just leave it at you saying it wasn't great, because if you don't know what we're talking about, just go gander on over to social it was media. The, for the record, it was the WTA finals, which happened about a week prior. Yep, and so, uh, there was probably a solid 35 people in those stands each and every match. I did a triple take uh, when they announced the location of the WTA final. I think we all did. I think and I'm we just like, all Fort did. Worth, really? All right, cool. I think we, Fort Worth on a Tuesday at 2 p.m., get on out there and watch the Czech and Slovakia take on the Russian, folks. This is where we're going to do here in the middle of Fort Worth, Texas. Yeah, I feel a bit bad about being sarcastic if nobody caught that. But yeah, the the crowd was not exactly that great uh, for that event, at least compared to what we're getting right now. Right, so right. hopefully they change venues. No offense to Fort Worth. I'm sure you're a lovely town this time of year. But no offense to Fort Worth, all of it. You were too busy going to football games to actually right. go to tennis matches. So that was probably why you had nobody in attendance. But either way, uh, time to get into the lock and dog picks. But before we actually get into that, gonna have another quick word from our sponsor. We're also brought to you by the SGPN World Cup free roll $250 cash and a $250 gift card to the winner. Enter today exclusively on the SGPN app. Make sure to check out all of the World Cup content on sportsgamingpodcast.com. Get your holiday shopping done early at the SGPN merch store. SGPN gear is the perfect stocking stuffer for the DGEN in your life. I personally like the Let It Ride Christmas sweater. If you're going to hear a bunch of Christmas music and you know people are already looking forward to it, might as well prepare for the Christmas parties you're going to have by getting a sweatshirt early. And the Let It Ride sweatshirt, I do think, is a very nice piece to add to your collection. Plus, from now on until Thanksgiving, you can get 10% off while using the promo code DALLASSUCKS in all capitals. That's store. 
store.sgpn.com, promo code Dallas Sucks. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the remainder of this event and the Friday matches uh, taking place uh, in Italy. But before we actually get into the, well, my picks, I do have a guest for once. It's nice to not be solo for once. And it's going to be Stone's picks. We have the Stone Lock and Dog, something we have not had in a while. <laughs> I know when Stone's been on the show in the past, we've kind of crushed it. So, Stone, what do you got for your lock? All right, so for my lock, it's going to be Stefano Sitsipas' first set at minus 150. I talked about the two entirely different intentions of being here in Turin right now and being in the ATB Finals and being in the Final Eight. I think Sitsipas is cherishing the moment, trying to make the most of it. Rublev, on the other hand, like I mentioned, is kind of just glad to be here, right? Whatever happens, happens. I don't even feel as if I should be here. And I think Stefano Tsitsipas has the ability to execute that thought process, execute and manifest the good and positive energy that he needs to. I think he comes out with his briefcase and handles this first set very businesslike and gets out of there 6-4. Okay. Uh, definitely nice. I can see Tsitsipas getting off to a good start. He's been known to do that in the past couple tournaments. So, yeah, I definitely like that look, too. Uh, do you prefer to, by any chance, take the overall first set spread, or would you rather just take the money line? I'd rather take the money line at minus 150. We talked about Rublev's form that he's in right now, but we didn't touch on it enough. He looks like the old Ruby. He looks like bleh, that, that that we like to watch. So he's scary. And I talked about Tsitsipas going to be approaching the net. I can see him doing it early. And if Rublev is on his P's and Q's, he'll pass him and he'll break him. And he will go up in the set four to one and I will lose this bet. So because of that, no, I can't go that spread. Also with the speed, you have not seen many break points. So I do think you can end up seeing a tie break. And sure. at that point, you just sure. lose the spread. But all right, so that's going to be your lock. What about your dog? All right, this one's uh pretty scary. I think I need uh, help, honestly. But... I do kind of like this. It's kind of turning me on. Plus 325, Novak Djokovic, Daniil Medvedev, first set goes to a tie break. On a lot of your books, it'll say tie break, yes or no. Click yes. And I think it's because of what I was trying to manifest. And that's a really fun, no holds bar, first set between these two guys. I think that Novak is coming out there, I hope not on his Terminator menace stuff where he's coming to slice your head off. And I hope Daniil Medvedev woke up on the right side of the bed, like I had said a segment ago. So with that being said, I, I want to see Medvedev hit his first serves, find his spots and points early, show some rally tolerance and kind of give Novak a taste of his own medicine early on. Like, Hey, I'm here too. Like I'm here too. I may be Owen three, but you, you got to show me some respect because I should be the number one player in the world. So with that, being said, I think they both get to six, and it goes to a tiebreak. Ultimately, I think Novak wins in two, like we had touched on earlier. But I think plus 325s, some beer money, throw it on this first set, go into a tiebreak. We saw how Novak's serving, and I hope Medvedev can kind of uh, follow suit. Yeah, and just to come to the defense of Medvedev for a second, he's only 0-2. He might be 0-3 but after the end of the match, but he is only 0-2 right now. But... I definitely like the value at plus 325. Once again, you don't even care who wins the breaker. It's just getting there. It's just yep. over 12 and a half games. Yep. So that's definitely something that could happen with both guys serving well and it being a very fast court. As for my lock, I am going to go with the last point you made. I'm going to take Djokovic in straight sets at around minus 110. You can argue he's not going to care. His kids are in attendance for pretty much every match, and it seems like Djokovic has really just embraced trying to make sure that he puts a good effort for his kids. They might not know what's going on, but he likes to actually look, you know, good with his kids in attendance. I'm not going to lie. I love the angle. I love it. Well, it's really not even just an angle. It's really just the fact that if Djokovic cares, he's going to crush everybody in this event. So well, I'm right. hoping that even though the match doesn't fully matter for the overall bracket, I think it matters for him. And the fact that he wasn't able to be on the court for about half the year, I think definitely has been in his mind the fact that he got basically deported from Australia, half of the tennis world turned on arguably the best player of all time. And I think that was definitely an emotionally taxing ordeal. Yep. And now it's finally passed him. Plus, he can now officially play in the Australian Open next year. 
So that's been that's been a wave. That's definitely another thing going in Djokovic's direction. There's a lot of positivity surrounding him after probably the, the darkest time of his playing career. And I do think that just mentally, he's in a good place. And I'm hoping that he will continue to try to build off that, to give the fans a good show, and to really give his kids a good show by winning comfortably. But once again, the main hurdle for me is the first set. I do truly believe if Djokovic wins the first set in any margin, Medvedev is going to roll over in the second I set. agree. So I think Djokovic is going to get through. I think if he wins the first set, which he's def- a huge minus price to do, I don't see Medvedev caring in the second set. I think he wants the season to be over. He'll get with his coaches. He'll prepare for the Australian Open, and he'll move on from there. But give me Djokovic in straight sets at minus 110. And for my dog, I am going to predict a war between Rublev and Tsitsipas. Give me the over two and a half sets at plus 130. I think these guys kill each other. And I really am expecting nothing less. We saw with Felix and Fritz, it was a must-win match for both guys. And they played like it. It was an absolute just war. It was a phenomenal match. Both guys had their levels rise and decline at various points in the match. And I do think you'll end up seeing something similar here. I mentioned the head-to-head and how competitive it was in the past. Uh, But once again, the last two hard-court matches, uh, just to go through some of the recent matches, they played twice in 2022. One was in Astana on hard-court. Since he passed one and three, they played in... On clay earlier in the year, Tsitsipas won in three. Uh, even go back to the Nitto finals in 2020, that went three sets. They played in the next-gen final in uh, the ATP finals in 2018 in Italy. That went five sets. When these guys face off in the final year, all eyes upon them, these guys go down swinging. That's good enough for me. Plus 130, I think, is a good yep. price for three sets because I do think the level of margin between these guys is razor thin. I could not agree more. Love the play. Plus 130, it's an anchor for a lot of people's parlays out there. If you're confused on what to do, talking 3 p.m. start here on the East Coast. Cannot wait. Love that play. Yep, but that's going to wrap it up for the actual breakdown for the Friday matches and for the outrights. I'll back again later on in the week to go through either the semi-matches or the finals. But uh, before we actually wrap up, Stone, since you are the guest here, I'm going to let you do your thing. I'll let the people know where they can find you. Hey, find me on Twitter, at Stone. Um, weekdays, 12 to 2 p.m. on ESPN West Palm Beach. On your ESPN app, tell your smart speaker, play ESPN 106.3. Good Twitter follow. Love that. Uh, listen, if, if you see me retweet this and you're not too sure about tennis, listen, because we will turn you on to it. Me and Scott will. So that's all I got. Yep. And you can find me on Twitter at Rice Show Radio. Besides that, doing a bunch of podcasts with the SGPN Network, doing a tennis podcast, NFL podcast, NBA podcast. Yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff. I don't sleep much, so, you know, (laughs) that kind of works to my favor here. But until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.